is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri, by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. As you know, I'm here every Sunday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., live, talking with you about the mental side of sports. Our shows are podcasted everywhere, all over on all the major podcast apps. And, you know, I've done this show for years. I've practiced for 43 years here in Kansas City as a sports psychologist, 32 years on the radio, last 22 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB, and we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. We talk about sportsmanship, relationships, confidence, team building, the coach-athlete relationship, parents. As you know, I've co-authored a book called Just Let Him Play with Pete Malone and Jeff Montgomery. Uh, Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. And, you know, my one of the passions I have is with youth sports and helping kids get through their obstacles and deal with parents who get a little bit out of whack, coaches who go crazy. We talk about mental health on this show and the mental health of athletes. As you know, I've talked about the importance of mental health in sports for years, and forever people would sit there and go, oh, come on, Doc, you know, they're athletes. They don't need to deal with this stuff. They're strong people. Well, there's one word in that sentence that people seem to forget. They're people. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete, if you're a TV producer, if you're a psychologist, if you're a trash collector, a teacher, a doctor, whatever. You're a human being, and you've got feelings, you've got emotions, and you've got to deal with life. And, you know, we talk on this show about different topics all the time, and today I'm privileged to have with me, as our guest throughout the show, Dr. Hillary Cawthon. She's in Austin, Texas. She's a sports psychologist like myself, and she's been kind enough to join the show. So, Hillary, thanks for joining us this morning. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and talk with you. I know it's early, but thanks for getting up. <clears throat> we do this show each week. Yeah, boy. So tell us a little bit. You know, I've, I've looked at your background and, and read some things about you. You obviously, as a former collegiate track athlete, <clears throat> know a little bit about focusing and concentrating. You know about pressure. You've had to deal with coaches. You've worked with professional athletes, collegiate athletes. You've been around for a while now doing what you do. Why did you get into this field? Yeah, you know, I I knew at 14 that I wanted to be a sports psychologist. I definitely didn't know how I was going to get there. Um, and it's really kind of funny how I decided, like, oh, I, I need to do this job. Um, I was a multi-sport athlete as a youth, um, very competitive. I moved from a big city outside of St. Louis, Missouri, to a small town uh, called Old Town, Maine when I was 14. Um, resources were very different, and my sport experience 
rapidly shifted. Um, and I was actually very successful even in Maine. I was winning a lot and I lost my passion. It wasn't fun. And I was just kind of in this rut. It, it sounds kind of contradictory, like when you're winning and successful to just lose the passion. But I definitely did. And I just was like, man, I, I wish I had someone to talk to. I wish I had someone who understood my competitive mindset. I didn't want to go to a traditional counselor because I just didn't feel they would get me as an athlete. And so I just knew, like, I'm going to do that for people. When I, you know, study and go to college, I'm going to help people. I'm going to help us athletes. I'm going to understand that. Um, and so I did that. And what, what, year, what year was that? Education. What year was that? When I was 14, um, oh gosh, 1998, I realized this. Well, you know, I, first of all, that's impressive because I think I've shared with you yesterday when we talked, I'm one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. I started working in 1981 when basically nobody had heard of sports psychology. So I'm impressed that you wanted to become a sports psychologist a few years later. So that's that's good that you recognize the importance of this. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's as an athlete, it can be such an isolating feeling. You know, it's, it is an identity as much as we try to teach our athletes that sport is what you do. It's not who you are. It definitely is a part of your identity formation when you're when you're a youth athlete and you have aspirations to be a collegiate athlete or professional athlete it is who you are it's what you do and you you know you get more advanced into your training and it's really hard to have people who really understand the sacrifices you're making and and where you want to go with things and so i just knew i needed someone who could connect to that and i was gonna get educated in that process and so you followed your path then with that passion and you've become a sports Mm -hmm. i'm very impressive i I, want to tell you I'm I'm happy to hear that from you. You know, there's so many. This this field is has grown exponentially over the last ten years. There are thousands mm-hmm. of people now who call themselves performance experts, sports counselors. You know, there are all kinds of people who aren't trained properly doing this. I think you're aware of that. And you know, there are a lot of people who don't have to be psychologists to work with athletes. As far as you know, helping them train their ex athletes or people doing this. But there there are a lot of people in the profession who aren't trained who get into this so I'm, I'm glad that you've you know you went the right route because i've i've dealt with so many people who end up you know trying to do this work and really don't have the right training so let me ask you as as a female sports psychologist having worked mm-hmm. at all levels and and being an athlete yourself what do you see today as one of the biggest obstacles for athletes just in terms of performance in terms of life and it could be male or female, collegiate, professional, high school, whatever. What, let me get your opinions on all that. Yeah, I think the the two common trends that they've never left um, that are so common is this fear of failure or fear of evaluation. It happens at every level, and it's where I kind of get an athlete and they come in and they're they're kind of stuck doing just enough not to fail. And you know, you either look for do you want to strive for success or do you fear failure. And so they kind of get in this place of, let me do everything not to fail, but they're really stuck in that rut. And we have to break down, okay, what is what is the fear about, right? Who are you afraid that you're going to let down? And, and then get into those aspects. And those are the performance domain. I think the other part, and, you know, you touched on this a little earlier, is just they're humans. And most humans, let alone athletes, um, don't know how to emotionally express themselves, don't have the core coping or problem-solving skills to adapt to situations, and athletes themselves are put in such high-pressure situations, constantly evaluated and constantly put to the test that 
we need to be better at preventing some of these skills so they can respond more effectively. See, I, I, you're hitting it right on the head as far as I'm concerned. And, and in my opinion, it starts at the youth level. And it starts with mm-hmm. coaches at that level in terms of what pressures coaches put on kids. I mean, my definition of winning is going out and doing the best you can. It's not coming in first place. If you come in first place, great. But did you do your best today? And unfortunately, what I see, at, and I want to get your opinion at the youth sport level, you have so many coaches, and I've, I've talked about this on my show forever, and I get calls on this all the time. You get coaches at the, the youth sport level, and this could be seven- and eight-year-olds who put emphasis on winning and on the score, not on having fun and enjoying the experience. And then the pressure and the expectations and the fear all comes in, and then it all falls apart. Let me get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of the most frustrating things. So when I started studying in 2002, we would learn about, like, why people drop out of sport, what are the rates, and it's always been 70 to 72% of athletes will drop out of sport at 13, and the primary reason is because it's not fun. If we look at the literature now in 2023, it's the same answer, and I'm like, can we not get better at this? Like, where are we missing this, that sport needs to be fun. It needs to be movement. There are developmental levels for our athletes, cognitively, physically, emotionally. And I do think we missed the mark on coach education. I think we need to have better standards and policies and procedures because our youth are so impressionable and they are playing for their parents. They're playing for their coaches. And if we don't have the right environment around them, it will really impact the rest of their lives and how they view themselves and their self-confidence and self-worth and all the life skills we want them to obtain when they're participating in sports. You just, you just hit on something there. They're playing for their parents. They're playing for their coaches. But really, they should be playing for fun, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's yep. the dilemma yep. we've got. And ideally, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to me, and I've talked about this forever. You know, coaching education. You know, at the youth sport level. And I know this when when my son, my my oldest son, who just became a father a, a little more than a month and a half ago. When he was going into kindergarten, there was a sign-up sheet on the door the first day of, of school wanting to sign people up, the kids up, to play on a youth soccer team. And so I didn't sign up, and then I got a call oh, a day or two later from the dad who's signing kids up. It says, well, I noticed your son's not signed up. I want to get him signed up on the soccer team. I said, well, sir, you know, He's really not interested in that. And he goes, well, you don't seem to understand. He's going to fall behind if he doesn't do this right now. And I'm like, I don't understand. I said, you don't know what I do for a living. And he goes, well, obviously you don't know much about sports. Well, my son, needless to say, did not play on that team. And he ended up playing soccer until he was in high school. But I think the pressure to play, the pressure to perform at young, young ages now is getting worse and worse. And we're seeing this in terms of social media and all these these things that are out there now about kids. Um you know, there's there's a story this past year. I don't know if you knew heard of the thing called Baby Gronk, a young man who was about ten. His dad's promoting him as the next, you know, Rob Gronkowski, and and just the pressures on these kids today that the fun aspect seems to be going out the window more so with a lot of these people, and the emphasis is more on results. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, and I think we can take it even a step further because I think that has been a trend for a long time, like this pay to play type structure. You know. Keep, I call it keeping up with the Joneses with the parents of always kind of buying the $400 bat for your eight-year-old softball kid. And it's like, they don't even know how to hit a ball. You don't need to buy a $400 bat right now. Um, oh, yeah. oh, yes, I do, because if I, if I don't, <laughs> my, my daughter won't be able to hit the ball as far as everybody else. Come on, I have to buy yeah, that bat. In fact, I need two of them. 
private lessons, private lessons, bats, all the things. I mean, we can go down that rabbit hole. I think the fear that we need to look at, though, the reality is with social media becoming such a presence, with NIL now happening in college, parents are going to try to be savvy enough to create brands for their kids at an earlier age for marketing to, to appease to the scouts, to appease to the college recruiters, to say, hey, my kid will come in and add value to you, not just because of the talent, because of the business. And now we're monetizing our children, and that is not what sport is. So where has fun gone in youth sports, Hillary? What do you think? Has it gone out the window? Um, you know, I think there's definitely, we can't, we can't be that black and white. I think there are definitely places where fun exists, right? I think there are true athletes that can find the fun. Uh, we could always say winning teams always have more fun, <laughs> right? So those kids probably are having fun. But I would hope uh, maybe if we get kids to just play more, play at recess, play in the backyard, like play unrestricted, you know, not in these like leagues and AUs and select levels and, and actually set different standards where kids can actually just learn the game pretty. Yeah, I mean, the whole issue of play for kids today, you know, I, I've, I've shared this many times on the show. I, I don't remember driving past a park or a grade school and seeing a group of kids out there playing uh, on their own without being at an organized sports practice with parents telling them what to do. Right. You know, it, it, no, if you drive by the park now, you'll see a parent or a coach or someone one-on-one telling the drills of what to do, right? It's not free play with kids. It's, you know, individual lessons at the court. Well, there are two reasons for that. Number one, the safety issue today is with kids is, is obviously a, a very important one. And, and the other thing is, I think for a lot of kids, just having the freedom to go out on their own, you know, because of fear of, of, you know, what could happen to them. And so I think that everything's everything's so right. structured now. So and, and I think that's where part of the issues are. So I'm talking with Dr. Hillary Cawthon from Austin, Texas, sports psychologist. Love having her with us today. And if you'd love to join the show, have any questions for us, our phone number is 913 913- 913-3810-810. Sorry about that. 913-3810-810. So let me ask you this question. How do we change this? Because, you know, I've talked about this forever on here. I think with, with the youth sport level, first of all, I think there need to be coaches' education programs for, for youth sport. And they're not a, a real expansive type of thing, but just a general explanation to youth sport coaches about sportsmanship, about fun, about enjoyment, and less about winning and results. Let me get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need coach education. Um, I know a lot at the youth level, right, when we're first getting our kids into sport, there are a lot of parent volunteers. And then you have parents who are getting frustrated, and we see all the stands and the problems and the toxic culture that happen at that youth sport level because they're so focused on results. And we don't remember that a lot of these parents are just volunteering to be with their children. And I think we need to do a lot more at these organizational, recreational club levels of parent education, club you know, coach education, club organization education, and, and create some accountability in those systems um, that actually set the mission and value statements that they all say they are there. Um, and then if we have proper resources available, that we could create an environment that's a lot safer and a lot more fun. You mentioned accountability, so let me throw something at you that I've uh, proposed on this show many times. So because of the parental poor behavior at youth sports events, I've suggested this type of program be implemented and, and some people have said they're using it and they, they seem to think it helps and that is at the, at the beginning of the season the coach has a meeting with the parents 
and the athletes and talks about, you know, the schedule, the rules, practice, all that type of stuff. But also talks about sportsmanship, talks about behavior, Mm -hmm. parental behavior at games. And in this discussion, what I suggest is there is a rotating parent each week, different parent each week who sort of observes the other parents. And there will be some guidelines what's acceptable behavior, what's not. And if you have a parent who is misbehaving, you know, acting out at, uh, against the, the, the guidelines, this supervisory parent then goes to the coach. The coach then calls timeout and then comes up and, you know, addresses this with the, the parent who's acting out, gives them one warning. If they keep it up, then then I suggest that parent and their child are kicked out of the game. I want to get your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Some people say they shouldn't kick the kids out, but I'm like, well, if they're forced to take their kid with them, it's going to hurt them more. And I want to get to see what you think about that. Yeah, I think when we look at what's going to change behavior, right, the reward has to be enough to make the behavior change, right? And with, with children, if they're acting up, right, we put them in timeout because the worst thing a child's going to be able to do is not be able to play. And all we want to do is play. So the child will learn a lesson. Um, is it a pretty harsh discipline, right, if it's your parent and depending on the age of the kid and the kid's like, it's not my fault, my dad's crazy, right? Like, get him out of here. Um, you know, so there, there could be a rift in that family, but, but I do think there has to be something. And to me, that's better than nothing because what we're saying is that's not allowed here. We don't allow you on our team here. And if this is the type of family that's coming in, even if it's, you know, the parent and the kid might be wonderful, we can't have that on our team. And so the family needs to be removed. And, um, you know, I think we, we have to do a better job even with educating parents on how to have conversations on expectations of what sport looks like, what practice schedule looks like, what we expect of why they're joining sport, right, and let the kids take the conversation and the lead. And, you know, the kids should be a part of those conversations too. They should hear and understand and, and help navigate because um, – it can be really toxic just watching the environment. I mean, I have four children, so when I sit in these sports stands, it's really hard for me sometimes to keep quiet. You have four, you have four kids. Oh my goodness, you're probably very busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's four four girls. <laughs> oh, four girls. That's, oh wow, you're even more busy. Okay, so let me ask this: you, you you hit this on this word, and then we'll talk about this before we go to our first break here. Expectations. That's something that. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with athletes for, you know, my over 40 years of work. Um, when I worked in the 80s with our uh, cycling team, the Olympic cycling team, 1984 in Los Angeles, we ended up winning nine medals, hadn't won any in 72 years. There were, were huge expectations on us to do well, in part because the East Germans and the Russians weren't there. But at the same time, it was about the whole thing we focused on was, you know what, let's just focus on ourselves Focus on your goals. Don't worry about what people think or what people say. You've got to be self-focused. And the result was we did quite well because we took the, the, the expectation stuff out of the equation. And what I found, and that taught me something early in my career, that if you can just focus on doing your best and not worry about what everybody else thinks, you have a greater chance for success. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the simplest things that, that I always go back to the teams I work for especially when it gets really stressful or high-pressure situations, I just say, take a breath, do your job. Don't do more, don't do less, just do your job. And so I think that the message is there are standards that we we work towards, right? We know exactly what our job is. We know the standard of play. We're going to execute that. And then there is the expectation that we can elevate to be successful. We can, we can work towards that. We know the standard thing of playing games. When you come into 
any competitive environment, there's a winner and a loser. Like that does not change. So the expectation is. Well, hold on. In, so- in soccer, there's a tie. I mean, you can have draws, <laughs> but then there's leagues that change. It's right. always not always consistent. Right. But but the expectation is. No one wakes up being like, I can't wait to lose today, right? We know that they want to win. So focusing on that is not going to be what we need to work on, right? And it's really just as simple as what is your job, what are you in control of, and go execute that, and the rest will come from that play. Yeah, I think you're hitting it right on the head. I agree with you 100%. My guest this morning is Dr. Hillary Cawthon. She's a sports psychologist in Austin, Texas, a mother of four which I will uh, emphasize as well. So she's got her hands full with what she's doing. I love having her on the show today. If you'd like to join us, our phone number is 913-3810-810. We're going to go to our first break here. We're going to come back. I want to talk with Dr. Cawthon about mental health in sports today, the, the role it takes, and what are some of the key issues going on, especially for female athletes at the high school and, and collegiate level. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour here on our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB here in Kansas City. My guest today is Dr. Hillary Cawthon. She's a sports psychologist in Austin, Texas. And I want to explore the area of mental health and athletes right now. Um, we're seeing over the past few years how mental health has become so important, and we're seeing all these uh, tragedy, tragic things happening there. You know, it was a very prominent athlete, gymnast, gymnastic athlete at University of Utah, who actually is from Kansas City, who just quit the sport because of abuse. The Stanford goalkeeper on the women's soccer team committed suicide about a year ago. And there's a lot of talk about parents blaming the school for what happened. We're hearing more and more issues uh, day in and day out at the collegiate level as well as younger levels of athletes having severe psychological trauma and issues want to get your thoughts on why that's going on, why it's being promoted now more so than before, and what can we do to help them out? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely my passion area. The toxicity of the sport culture on athletes' mental health is something I spoke about in 2018, right, for my TEDx, which really highlighted the fact that, um, you know, the environments that these athletes are placed in are causing harm. Um, The way that we speak to the athletes, the way that we reprimand, punish, judge, you know, isolate, shame, it causes such a significant impact on their mental and emotional well-being. And for a long time, we didn't have the resources in place to help our athletes. And there there has been a shift, I think, starting really in 2015, 16, with NCAA creating the best practices for mental health for their athletes. But um, there's so much abuse that keeps coming out, and there's it comes back to having talked about lack of education, regulation, you know, accountability, um, and, and why I think the shift is occurring now is the athletes are speaking out or there's been such harm that we have to take notice. And it's really unfortunate we only take notice when the extremes have happened. The, there's been an increase in amount of suicidality in college athletes in the past two years that we really need to take notice and understand, like, what is causing harm to them, you know, societally and in that sport setting. You know, to me, and, and of course we're in total agreement on this, I think so much of this goes to coaching education. And, you know, Bobby Knight just passed away this past week, one of the the more prominent uh, NCAA basketball coaches, but but also a man who had a huge temper, um, was was known for losing it, you know, blowing up at players. And that type of behavior is no longer accepted at the collegiate level. However, it still happens. 
I mean, last year at uh, the University of Iowa, their, their men's coach, Fran McCaffrey, at the end of a game, before the game was over, w- walked on the court and stared down a referee. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. and he got reprimanded for that. It's not the first time he's been reprimanded for his behavior out there. And so I see what, you know, let's face it, in the heat of it, it, it in a game, there, your emotions come into play. Lots of stuff happens. And lots of times, you know, no matter what the situation, people are going to say things they regret later. But I think this abusive behavior by coaches towards athletes, especially at the collegiate level, sometimes they they think that's the only way. You know, we've got to toughen them up. So the way to toughen them up, male or female, is to get in their face. But that's where I think, you know, I have a saying, Hillary, a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. And. For years, I've, I've worked with so many coaches who are just wonderful people, but I've been around some who are some real jerks, too. And, of course, I didn't last too long on those teams because they didn't want me around because I confront them and they didn't want to deal with it. So how do we educate co- – you know what I'm at there. Um, how do we educate these coaches about this? What what do we think we need to do when it comes to motivation and, and, and use the word expectations early on with coaches? I, I think a coach – like I said, really needs to get to know their athletes, why they're there, what their goals are, what 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 do they want to accomplish, and get to know them as a person more so than just as an athlete. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the coach themselves, we need to actually educate the same way we do our athletes on managing their, their emotions, what their expectations are for themselves, like how they can work through, because they are modeling these behaviors. So their sideline behaviors, their on-court presence, like that is modeled by the athletes. They set the tone, and they set the tone in terms of how they treat their their staff, their support staff. Like everyone is kind of letting this coach take the lead, and we need to make sure that coach also has the resources and awareness of how to manage things. Um, And I think that, you know, education is one place. I think having the right resources and support staff around there will be another avenue to help balance that out. Um, and I think we just need to keep advocating. But we're asking to change the whole structure of sport and how we view it, right? We're asking to have people understand that emotions are normal and we can facilitate them and use them. And caring for people, using the word care, you mentioned like getting to know your players, that person-centered approach and caring for the individual does not mean you're soft. It actually will lead to success and greatness. But we have to restructure the way we view how dominant and competition is and how we can utilize all aspects of the humanity to be successful. You know, um, I, I've, I've dealt with so many coaches in my 43 years of work who accepted having someone like myself around. Back in the 80s, I worked, for example, we had a professional soccer team here called the Kansas City Comets Indoor Soccer Team. And it was the first professional team I worked with. The coach was Rick Benban, who I worked with for years when he went on to coach at the collegiate level. And Rick understood the importance of having someone like myself there, the importance of integrating the psychological aspect in. And he, you know, he was an advocate for this. But then I, then he was fired, and the guy who replaced him wanted nothing to do with me, thought it was a sign of weakness. And, of course, that's back in the 80s. And we've, I think we're seeing a change with that now in terms of acceptance of having mental health professionals, sports psychologists, trained sports psychologists, with teams, but in terms of educating coaches, what do you think? How can we go about doing that to get them to understand why this is so important and how they need to understand themselves just as much as they need to understand their athletes? I think 
the best starting point is actually taking them off of the court, the field, the pool deck, and actually bringing them into an environment to say, like, do you know this athlete, any athlete you're going to work with outside of this setting? Do you understand the impact that your role will play on them? Do you, can you work through cognitively? Like, we need to teach them about the developmental aspects of how the brain functions, how the body functions, you know, and, and let them see them as humans, not just the athlete on the field and we need to bring back in that emotional connection to who is Johnny who is Susie what are their strengths as a person the personality the, the core essence of them that allows them to be successful in the field um, and, and we do need to bring back the humanity of sport in there uh, and I think you, you mentioned it about female athletes right we, we definitely need to educate our coaches on the female body and coaching to the female athlete because it is very different than coaching to the male athlete. Exactly. I'm I'm the team psychologist for the Kansas City Current, our NWSL team here, and, and fortunately that league now requires every team to have a mental health professional on staff, in part because of all the trauma the NWSL had a couple of years ago with all kinds of coaches getting in trouble for all kinds of behaviors. Um, what What do you feel would be the best way to get coaches to realize and understand why the mental health aspect is is so important because you have a lot of coaches out there who just won't buy into it they think you know a tough athlete a tough athlete needs to be pushed and challenged and you know it, it they see that the mental health aspect is a weakness rather than a strength yeah i mean i think the the true essence is mental health is just like physical health right mental health is how we're thinking how we're feeling and that then goes into how we behave and we have to make sure we are educated on how to think effectively and how to feel and facilitate our feelings to then optimize our performance and we need to break it down before there is a problem most coaches most leagues get on when there is something that occurs like the nswl like there's toxic coaches abuse you know u.s gymnastics like when big enough problems happen we intervene it takes a lot more work to be preventative and educate and say, this will actually lead to better performances. This will lead to better retention rates. This will lead to people wanting to get involved and participate when you create healthy environment. This will make the team stronger. But we just we need more resources to be able to do it. But and you know, takes money it, and time. People. Yeah, if I can interject here, you know, there's there's a gymnastics coach here in Kansas City. I'm not going to say the name, who has had two athletes die. Uh, one from anorexia and another uh, from doing a vault that she apparently wasn't trained for, broke her neck and ended up dying from it. He's still coaching. And well, I know <laughs> safe sport. What's that? I said he shouldn't be. That's that's horrific. Well, yeah, safe sport's been investigating him for other uh, abuses as well. And uh, years ago, I had a, a gymnast in his gym who came into my office, and she had an issue and the parents finally got him. It, we needed him to come in. He finally came in. And then after he came in, he said, if, if you continue to see him, you're out of the gym. Well, she ended up leaving. Um, he's refused to let anybody in his gym even talk to me because he didn't want to do it. You know, it's, it, it's all about winning. And, and yet this still goes on way, way too much. From the female perspective, what are you seeing? We'll get into the girls and sports in our, our last segment here. But from from your perspective, as a female sports psychologist, what have you dealt with along the lines with this? Because I'm sure you've had to deal with some of these things several times. Yeah, a lot of the female athletes, especially the high school level athletes, they, they're they really traumatized. They care a lot about what the coaches think, and they're 
they're weighed publicly, they're body shamed, they're they're degraded, you know, for just how they're looking, and I think that's problematic for them. That impacts them at a very emotional level when they're already trying to adapt to their body. Um, the when you go through your menstrual cycle and you know you don't have the right resources, you know, I always have to educate coaches on: Do you have tampons, pads? Like, have you talked through extra uniforms? It's it's a very shaming culture um, and degrading because they don't understand their body and the injuries that come from that, the, the developmental age of a female athlete. And I think the one thing we don't discuss is female athletes are prescribing a male-dominant world of sport and have to minimize their emotional expression even more so and they adapt to the pro-social norms of male behavior, which because women are often viewed as hysterical and over-emotional and so in a sport setting, they have to not be who they truly are. And there had to be less emotional because um, the fear of kind of being overly emotional and taking out and, and not able to maintain. And, and so they're not even actually treated how they could be and express themselves in a way that is effective. Is it better for a female athlete to have a female coach or should it not really matter? Well, this is the, this is the funny part. Like there, a good coach will be a good, a good coach anywhere, right? If you're a good coach, you can educate the developmental level, the physical body, the technical aspects of sport, male or female. But we often see men always coaching and coaching women and men. It's rare do we see that we see some women now coaching to men, which takes a whole nother turn. But men are not educated enough on on the female body, the female development, the emotional expressions, the dynamics, um, and, and how to coach effectively for their body. The training modalities, their techniques, bodies move female bodies move differently than male bodies. Muscle development is different. So we need to have a coach who's educated on the body movements and physicality and emotional levels of male or female. My guest today is Dr. Hillary Cawthon. She's a sports psychologist in Austin, Texas. I think we're having a great conversation about mental health and athletes, the whole, all the different issues that, that across the gamut that affect athletes and coaches. If you'd like to join the show in our last segment, our phone number is 913-3810-810. We're going to come back and talk about female athletes, about mental health and female athletes. And love to have a call from you if you have a question or comment, if you have a daughter or, or you're a female athlete yourself, if you'd like to ask this question. Once again, my guest is Dr. Hillary Cawthon. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and we're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. I'm having a great conversation this morning with my guest, Dr. Hillary Cawthon. She is a sports psychologist in Austin, Texas. And Hillary, I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us this morning. This has been a great interview. You know, I want to delve into female athletes and mental health and sports. Obviously, as a, a female sports psychologist, this is something that you're very sensitive to and aware of. What do you see today uh, with women's sports exploding at all levels? You're seeing, you know, we have now, you know, the NWSL Professional Women's Soccer League. There's going to become a professional uh, women's volleyball league that's going to have a team here in Kansas City. It's going to start up pretty soon. What do you see the, the issues for female athletes that are maybe different than male athletes? Well, one, I think females are held to a different standard. I mean, I think first and foremost, uh, we can't discredit the sexualization of female and female athletes, right? So what uniforms are, the way we discuss things in the media, the questions we ask them, we still are not treating them the same way, the same standard as an athlete competing in a sport as we do our men. Just from a political view, how we look at them, how we how we dress. So I think that's one thing for sure that female athletes 
are aware of, how they have to be educated, how they respond to things. Um, and then I think we need to do a much better job, and, and we're getting there, research is going there, but about injury prevention and injury response to the female body. There's a the high risk for ACL tears with the developmental adolescent athlete when their hips start to expand and, and form into different formations of a, a woman's body. The menstrual cycle, what that looks like, the workload management on the body, proper nutrition, we need to educate on that aspect for, for bone density and, and make sure they're healthy. Um, because women also have to battle, as I mentioned, that sexual stigma, but what does a attractive female look like? And so it's it's very difficult for our female athletes to be strong and competitive and emotionally able to kind of take on the impact that it has by them being an athlete from society. We've seen, you know, Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, amongst others, come out and talk about how important the mental aspect of sport is the pressures the you know i mean i was appalled when simone biles withdrew from the olympics and there was a guy on a podcast calling her a traitor because called her a wimp because she pulled out of the olympics and i'm like okay i'd like to see you run down that runway hit that uh springboard and flip over the vaulting horse flipping around three or four times in the air and not break your neck um i i thought what she did was so incredibly admirable but yet she got criticized for that. And, I, I, you know, that's what I don't understand. Um, we put, I think we put these, a lot of female athletes at such a high level that if they screw up, you know, well, they're weak. Um, and how do we overcome that with a lot of, I, mean, I know we've talked a lot on the show about educating people. But for female athletes, mm-hmm. there are so many other issues. And like you said, the sexualization issues, or how they come across what their body looks like, all those things become prominent in discussions with people. But what's the best way for female athletes today to work through all these issues? What do you, what do you feel from a mental perspective needs to be done to help them out? Yeah, I think, well, one, we need to have more opportunities for female athletes to speak out. We need to promote female sport more. We need to have, uh, you know, female athletes connecting with each other and, and sharing stories and, and being a part of the conversations, right? We're seeing some evolution with broadcasting. We're seeing some evolution with coaches. Um, and, and, and it's not a male versus female thing, but it's just different perspectives that are, are very true and relevant and can speak to the nature of these athletes. And so I think we just need to have more representation um, and, and take time to listen and learn and, and then grow and evolve. You know, for young girls who want to get involved in sports, you know, they're getting coached by their parents, by, by other people. My pr- producer, Cavell, has three daughters. He wanted to jump in and ask you a question about this because he, he's coached his daughters. He's got a couple questions for you. Hello. So, yes, I have three daughters, 11, 9, and 6. And this last session here, probably, you know, ended about um, three weeks ago. I coached a 9-year-old in soccer. And I've been trying to find a balance of work hard, being focused, and, you know, still playing around and have fun. I'm not real good at – I used to coach competitive basketball, traveling basketball with my little brother. But – so I'm trying to find a balance of, hey, stay focused, less playing, and, you know, controlling emotions and things like that. But I'm trying to find a balance of that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I guess – uh, yeah, like I said, I'm just trying to find a balance of having fun and being serious, if that makes sense. I think one of the, yeah, one of the best 
coach interventions I do when, when coaches get this way too, I first have them reflect and say, what, what's your outcome and why are you frustrated? Is it related to your fear that you're not teaching them something, your fear they won't be prepared for the game? But then the other aspect I'll say is, hey, let's let your kids and your team have a player-led practice. Let's see if they know what needs to be done to learn and develop and, and give them a chance to have some autonomy and then have the conversation after of how do we actually have effective practices. Because more often than not, our athletes know what's working, what's not working, why it's hard, and they just need to have a little bit of a voice too. Um, and then you guys can recreate the dynamic of here's some fun time, here's some focus time, here's some play time. Here's where I lead, here's where you lead, here's how we do it together. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, that's that's a good answer. I think that makes a lot of sense. Let me ask let me ask Hillary this question, okay? Uh, this word is probably one of the words that I hear from athletes more than anything else. It's fear. Fear of failure, fear of success, fear of not reaching expectations, letting people down, screwing up, losing, failing. When you work with someone, how do you try to get them to overcome fear? We just have awareness of it. What does it mean? We all have fear. It's a natural response. It's a natural emotion, universal. We all experience it. So we just have to break down what is the fear, and if that were to happen, what's our response to that? And so once I can allow them to find a answer to that fear, they have more control. And the biggest analogy I use is a lot of kids were scared of the dark when they were little, and they all needed a nightlight. And eventually they didn't need that nightlight because they were able to overcome it and think differently and understand they were safe and secure. And so it really is building a sense of security and safety in that individual to then be comfortable taking the risk and expanding and trying to reach for something that they truly, really want to do. When I, I have a parent and kids come in, oftentimes they'll talk about a fear of letting their parents down and fear they're, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get this a lot. You know, you spend a lot of money for me to play, to travel, to see Dr. Jacobs, to see a nutritionist, to see chiropractor. Um, I worry that I'm letting you down because I'm not winning. What do you What do you say when those situations come up? Yeah, first I own it and say, yeah, it's a lot. Your parents are investing a lot in you, but have you asked them why? Is this a family plan? Is, you know, this is a part of sport. And usually when we just kind of explore that, you know, then I might have a family meeting that went together and say, have you guys really talked about what your family values are about why you're doing sport, what you want from them? Um, and I usually ask the kid, and I think parents need to ask this too, is like, what do you need from your parents? What do you need to hear? Uh, at the end of the day, as you and I both know, they just want their parents to be excited to go watch them play, to show up, to go get food after. Um, it's not about dissecting the game. Some athletes will do that, but it's the experience of just being there for your kids and watching them and cheering them on and thinking how great they are, whether they sit the bench or they just had the most amazing play in the outfield. You know, that's that's a great uh, set, uh, way to in, in get me to speak about my book, which is called Just Let Them Play. Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes to Use Sports because our fourth chapter is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. And I always talk about with so many people, you're, you know, what's perfection? You know, nobody's perfect. Everyone's going to screw up. Everyone's going to make mistakes. I, I have lots of basketball players I'm working with right now. I say, what's the greatest NCAA championship game performance? Bill Walton, and I think a 72, 73, he missed one shot, but he didn't make every shot. Kobe Bryant... Mm-hmm. 
broke a record two years before he retired, most missed shots in the history of the NBA. And yet he played two more years. Failure, you know, Michael Jordan was a 50% shooter. Failure is going to happen. In baseball, you go to the Hall of Fame, you hit over 300. That means seven times out of ten, you didn't get a hit. The, part, the biggest mm-hmm. part of sport that I think so many people need to learn is that failure is not something to be scared of, but to embrace and learn from. And I found that when I have parents coming in with their kids, when the kids realize the parents, listen, I don't care if you, you win or lose. I just want you to have fun and enjoy what you're doing. My my goal for you is, is, to, is, is that you enjoy what you're doing and not freak out about screwing up. What are your thoughts on that? Right. Absolutely. And I think that we need to just keep slowing things down a little bit and remembering the true essence of why people are doing this is for connection, for movement of their body, for the opportunity to succeed, but also to have these life lessons. And so... We all get caught up in it. Sport is emotional. It's highs and lows. It's one of the best things, and it's also one of the most painful things. I think at the end of the day, we do need to just remember, like, why are we doing this? And and most often it is just for letting people have a chance to have fun and, and grow. I'm going to be 69 years old next month. I've been playing sports my whole life. Uh, when I was younger, you know, I, I played tennis. That was my sport. If I didn't win, I got all upset. Now, now I just enjoy going out there and playing that I can still move around, um, whatever the sport is. <laughs> and what I found in my in my work throughout my career is, you know, the bottom line is sports should be fun. It should be a great way to learn psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and nutritionally about yourself. But in, in the end, whether you win or lose, did you enjoy the experience? And I think... I think that's the message I try to give people, and I'm sure you probably do too. If we, as we wrap things up today, what would be the big message you want to give people, who parents especially, who want to get their kids in sports or kids who are playing sports? What would you share with them that you think is the most important thing for them to think about? I think just how this experience will affect everyone in that family, right? It's a commitment and, like, going back to, like, what do you want them to learn from? What do you want them to grow from? How can you make this a, a family fun experience? And, you know, I think we, we did talk a lot about education and culture and, and the reality, and I think they need to understand that sport can have some dark sides. They need to know who is effectively able to coach them and, and be involved in our life and ask the right questions around the standards and values and education of the team they're going on um, because there is a lot of toxic stuff in the sport world, too, and so parents have to do their due diligence on making sure the environment is right for their child as well. Listen, this has been a fascinating interview with you, Hillary. I've really enjoyed having you on today. I'd love to have you on again. I think your perspective is great. It's nice to hear someone in, in the profession um, a lot younger than I am who's, who's, who's got the same opinions, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. If people would like to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, Dr. C Mindset um, is my Instagram. I post a lot of educational stuff on there, HillaryCosset.com. They can also find stuff about my book, my TED Talk, and things that I'm doing. So I think those are two great places that they can kind of check out. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great interview. I'd love to have you on again. And it's, it's great to hear someone who's in the profession who gets it as well, understands, you know, the, the winning, losing, success, failure, but also why parents – And coaches, the whole perspective is so important to educate them. Thanks for joining us today, Hillary. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As always, you can get a hold of me several ways. My email is drj at winnersunlimited.com. Check out my website, winnersunlimited.com. You can also reach me at my office, which is 816-561-5556. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Sunday here on The Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB.